Well, good morning. Oh, thank you. Someone's awake. Uh, sorry, I put you through a lot of reading. Uh, thank you for reading that for us. Uh, my name is Andy, and this is my second time here, and uh, I don't know how often I'm going to have to introduce myself or who I am, but I'll do it this time. I've started at St. Matt's uh, down there um, two months ago now, uh, and we've been together, I think, three times here at Wild Street, so it's been a... It's my joy to uh, take us through this passage. Um, yeah, how about I pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you do speak, you do bring light to our world, ourselves, and who you are and who we are. Father, I pray that your spirit would uh, give us clarity around this this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, your response to Jesus depends on who you think he is, doesn't it? See, there's all kind of different Jesuses out there. There's the Jesus the prophet, uh, there's Jesus the good teacher, there's Jesus the revolutionary, the hippie. We could just keep on going. Uh, we all have different, there's different versions of who Jesus is. Apparently, uh, I'm told that if you go around the world around Christmas and you look in the crib, there's a different Jesus in each of the cribs. You get your Asian, your African, the Anglo-white Jesus in each of the cribs. The trouble for us, I think, is determining which is the real Jesus. Because I take it, we want to respond to Jesus as he truly is. Not the one we either assume, not the one we want or would dream up, but the one who he is. Uh, And who you think he is will affect how you respond. And this passage, Isaiah and Luke, these passages, ancient portraits, they want to bring us to a fuller picture of who Jesus is so that we might today be able to respond to him. So he wants us to see Jesus more clearly, have our eyes open to see spiritual realities that aren't obvious, in humanly speaking, to see eternal realities things that matter to every single person. And I hope uh, that, like what happened at Equip, there might be a renewed sense of appreciation for him this morning, a renewed sense of delight and joy in him. Now, the plan is normally what we do, what we've been doing in Isaiah, starting in Isaiah and then ending up in New Testament. Today, I want to start in the New Testament in Luke and come back to Isaiah. I have two things I want us to notice about Jesus, but come back and turn to uh, Luke chapter 4. Uh, Luke chapter 4 there, these are the, the words we read out were Jesus' first words, actually his first recorded sermon that we have of him, his first public words. But there is a whole bunch of expectations that as we read through the eyewitness account of Luke, we are aware of him. Uh, I think Luke wants us to notice, before we get to chapter 4, before we get to his words, that the Holy Spirit has been at work bringing about this moment. So, chapter 1, you get Zechariah prophesy about Jesus. Chapter 1, we get uh, that Jesus uh, is conceived in the womb by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, you get Simeon in the temple, that when he sees Jesus, what does the Holy Spirit reveal to him? Here is my salvation. Chapter 3, you get Jesus in the River Jordan get baptised, what happens? The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. 
and we get this voice from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. See, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. Then after this chapter 4, he gets led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. And then just before our passage, turn with me there, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Then once he returns to Nazareth, his hometown, what does he do? Well, what he normally does as his custom, he heads to the synagogue, to his home church where he grew up. Been there many a times before, but now they must have, having him there, must have trusted him enough, knew him enough to give him the mic. And, uh, you know, he pulls out the Bible. Well, it's not really the Bible, is it? Because it didn't have the printing press, didn't have the New Testament then, but pulls out Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, and he opens it up and unrolls it to chapter 61. It didn't have numbers either, but anyway, you get the point. And this is what he says, verse 18. He says in front of the, the church, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He then stops, rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attend attendant, and all eyes are on Jesus. And then he takes a seat. Now, he's not taking a seat back kind of in the congregation or the crowd, uh, like we might assume, but actually the custom was that when you were preaching, you would sit and the congregation would stand. That's not a bad idea, is it? I said to uh, Matt, it's freezing, this is nice and warm here. I said, maybe we could do a bit of that, you know, stay warm. Maybe we might need to bring it in, depending how your back goes, Rod. <laughs> but this one, the reading was short and the sermon was even shorter. Have a look at what he says, verse 21. It says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. What a moment to be sitting in that synagogue with Jesus right there, right then, and for him saying, this is fulfilled in me. I am the one that you have been waiting for. 700 years of waiting and waiting and waiting for the Christ, the Messiah, the servant uh, that we've seen over the last, since chapter 40 to 61. I mean, you wouldn't want to have missed that church, would you, that morning, wouldn't want to have slept in or gone for a surf. 700 years we've been waiting for this and here he is and he says, I am he. Notice what he says. He's been sent by God, anointed by his spirit to proclaim good news to the poor, to, to, to set liberty to the captives and, and oppressed and to give sight to the blind. How is he going to do this? Well, he does it by talking. He does it by preaching Jesus, as the word of God, in the power of the Spirit, he proclaims the year of the Lord's favour to those around him. And people's hearts are captured. They're captured by this truth and they're transformed. See, he sets prisoners free with words uh, that speak to their hearts. The poor, the blind, the captives. This is Jesus' mission statement. Yet the question is, what kind of relief is Jesus bringing about here? You know, is, is he bringing a political 
you know, economic, poverty, environmental. Well, the interesting thing is, Jesus didn't start a political party. You know, he didn't start a political party that lobbied for better education or, you know, for replacing the bad structures of society or silencing ideas that he thought were hurtful or harmful. He didn't even start a soup kitchen. He didn't break into any prison and release prisoners. In fact, uh, his cousin John the Baptist was in prison and he's like, are you the one? And what is Jesus' response and keeps him in prison? So, you know, he's not like he's breaking into prisons and releasing. No, the relief that Jesus is talking about here is a spiritual relief. This is the heart of the announcement of God's favour. The blindness is spiritual blindness. It's a failure to see Jesus for who he really is. The captivity is a spiritual captivity to sin, enslaved to sin. We all need to be set free from our captivity to death and judgment. The poor, the poor in spirit, the broken, the contrite, those who tremble at God's word. See, what he's bringing in, the relief, is a a relationship with God. He didn't come just to preach it and talk about it. He came to achieve it. His love, his compassion, his, his passion for justice, they all take Jesus to the one place to the cross, across outside of Jerusalem. That is what his mission was about. So we still live in a world where people are still hurting desperately, aren't they? Many Christians and churches uh, seek to offer medical and educational help, social work and advocacy to campaign for social justice or political liberation. And can I say, these are all great things. They offer us a taste of the new creation, which we'll look into more next week as we finish Isaiah. But friends, they are not ultimately what Jesus came to do. See, the core thing that Jesus was on about is about restoring a relationship with God. And he was hated for it. He was hated that this was his primary thing he was on about. He suffered for it. He went to the cross for it. And friends, as we follow Jesus, and if we're on about, so will we suffer for it. See, I think we need to continually remember the difference between treating the symptoms and the cause, between band-aids and cure. And we've got to be people committed to the cure. People's hearts can be mended forever. Jesus brings the spiritual cure, the spiritual relief for our hearts. That Jesus brought a spiritual reality and he uses um, the imagery and poetry language. We, we kind of get this, don't we? You know the great hymn writer Charles Wesley and the song that I love, And Can It Be? You know, what does he say? He kind of captures, he says, my chains, I'm not going to sing because I can't sing, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth and followed thee. This is the language that every Christian knows he's talking about our spiritual bondage to sin. That is what Jesus came to set us free from. And that is what we love when we belt it out. There's something else I want to let us know about here, that the phrase, the year of the Lord's favour, it's referring to the year of Jubilee. You know, in Leviticus 25, you know, there's, you know, every seven days there was to be a day off. Every uh, seven years the land was to get a year off where you weren't to produce, weren't to work the ground. And then every 50th year, 
there was a year of Jubilee. You, you know, the year of Jubilee was when every single debt was forgiven, was wiped out. Uh, back to square one, it's like a reset button. Your home loan wiped, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, your, all slaves free. All land returned to its original land owners. What an awesome instruction from God to his people. A reset button for everyone. A cancellation of all debts. Now, the interesting thing is, there's no evidence that Israel actually did this. Uh, that they actually took this out. Uh, so they were in exile and they'd been waiting for this reset button. For many, since Leviticus, they've been waiting for this reset button. And 700 years later, Jesus comes proclaiming the year of Jubilee. He is the one that brings this reset. And today, Jesus comes and announces to you and I, your debts that you have incurred towards God, gone through his death and resurrection. Friends, we all have a debt that we can't pay, that we can never pay that we are rightfully sit under the judgment of God. But Jesus came to pay that debt for you and I. He didn't have a debt, but he took on our debt and he paid it once for all so that we could have the reset that we all need with God. So no matter what you've done in history, nothing in the past you've done, nothing in the past that you've failed to do, complete forgiveness, complete pardon a clean slate, the year of the Lord's favour. What joy those words bring. It's just nectar for the soul, isn't it? And here is the comfort that Isaiah longed for as they're in exile. Here is the comfort that he was all too aware that was spoken of in Isaiah 61. And the comfort that we all need, a comfort from the judgment of God. The issue for many of us is we're just blind to it, aren't we? We're, you know, we're in prison and we're blind and we don't even know we're there. Uh, you know, it's like we're the nation Israel in exile in Babylon. You know, they're exiled, they're condemned from God, they're under God's judgment and his right judgment and they're in captivity. Yet they're in that place and they think, oh, I'm just going to live it up. I've got no history of the past, I've got no hopes for the future, I'm just going to live it up, I'm going to keep on trying to get a house closer to the water, keep on planning my holidays. Not, I'm not kind of longing or hoping for a Messiah. I'm not singing those songs about Zion. There's no weeping. I'm not longing for the kingdom of God. Just living it up blind to these eternal realities around them. But friends, it's those who mourn. It's those who have eyes to see. It's those who feel their own imprisonment, their own captivity that they're under judgment. It's those who long for Jesus and the freedom that he gives. They're the ones who long for Jubilee. They're the ones who long for another world. They're the ones who cling to these precious promises of Jesus. And they're the ones who will experience the sweet joy of salvation. They will experience the sweet joy of the promise of his words for them. Forgiveness. Complete reset relationship with God restored. Friends, if you are here and you trust the Lord Jesus and you're not experiencing this joy, can I say, you're not home yet. Remember that. It's all right if you struggle to remember this joy. 
but come back to God again. Be reminded of his great salvation he's won for us in Christ and pray that you might be delight and rejoice in him again. Okay, that's my first thing I want to notice. Jesus, he brings in the year of Jubilee. He comes to offer salvation to the spiritually captive. Now, the quote where Jesus quotes in Luke, I don't know if you noticed it, but he, he cuts the quote short, doesn't he? So in Luke 4, he stops at he coming to bring in the year of Jubilee. Uh, come back to Isaiah in your Bibles with me. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2. Here's where he's quoting from. So, he's, you know, the Spirit is on me. Uh, and then verse 2, he says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Now, I don't think it's just that Jesus didn't quite agree with Isaiah and he's just into the positive side of things, you know, he's into positive thinking. Now, the reason he stops the quote there is because it's in his first coming, he's coming to save, not to condemn. But friends, it's in his second coming that there will be judgment. There will be a day of vengeance. And Jesus says, my purpose is to save and not to condemn. But if you don't respond to my offer, I will come back. And when I come back, there will be a day of vengeance. And it will be a day of vengeance to all those who reject the good news. Now, this picture of Jesus' second coming is very sobering. Uh, and when Jesus, the Spirit-anointed prophet, returns in, uh, as king, it's a very sobering picture. Here's the second thing I want to notice about Jesus, is that it's Jesus who brings in this final judgment. Isaiah 63 kind of unpacks that day of vengeance for us, of what it's going to look like. And it's a very sobering picture, a picture that we don't normally talk about, but the point is very simple. The point is Jesus is the mighty warrior who will come back again and oppose all who oppose him. So flick over to Isaiah 63 with me. Isaiah 63 says, Who is this who comes from Edom, in crimson garments from Bozrah, sorry, he who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength? It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. See, it's as though there's a watchman who looks out and sees this person. He's trying to figure out who he is. Bozra, it's uh, the capital of Edom, and they were uh, God's enemies, the nation of Israel enemies. And initially, he, he can't quite make it out. Who, who is he? And he asks, who is it? The answer? Well, it is I. Characteristics of God himself. Uh, characteristics of the speaking God. And notice that he's speaking in righteousness. See, even though we might not like what he's about to say, he's saying, I am righteous. He's consistent with his character. He is right and good. Uh, this person is the one who knows the future and tells us what to happen. But then as the watchman kind of looks, uh, he notices that his, his garments aren't just red, but they're stained red. And we have this second question, verse 2. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? The answer, verse 3, says, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the people no one was with me. I trod them in my anger, and I trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. 
for the day of vengeance was in my heart and the year of my redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. See, the imagery requires very little explanation, does it? Jesus here is the mighty warrior who crushes his enemies under his foot. See, I wonder if I'd asked you this morning, who is Jesus? Would you have said, he is the mighty warrior judge who is coming back? You may have said, he's the one who brings favour, announces the Lord's forgiveness. But friends, we need to see Jesus clearly, don't we? Could hold on to this image of him. He, Jesus is this fearful warrior judge who will return and hold everyone account. So this is a Jesus that we wouldn't just create. This is a Jesus we wouldn't make up. But this is the Jesus that God has revealed to us. It's the God who's revealed to us in history over many years. Friends, it's not just the Jesus as judge that we're meant to remember, but it's also the Jesus as the spirit-anointed Messiah who gave his life freely so that we could not face the judgment of God. These truths are heavy and weighty, aren't they? But it's the plain, unavoidable teaching of the Bible. God loves justice too much. He is too good and righteous to let the guilty go unpunished. He can't just sweep it under the carpet. And friends, can I say, we don't want him to either. We long for the true justice that only God can bring and only the God who knows all and sees all can bring. We can't be fooled into believing the lie that is around us, that there is no judgment, that we just decompose and rot into anything. No, God has let us know. He's given us ample warning and evidence. He has come in the person of Jesus and he has died and been raised to life. And as surely as he came in his first coming, he's coming back again. The words of Isaiah fulfilled 700 years later as Jesus read that out. Friends, Jesus is coming back again. Now, Isaiah may have thought that these two announcements, the year of the Lord's favour, his salvation, and the day of judgment happened at the same time. But with the coming of Jesus, they're kind of split apart, aren't they? Jesus fulfills both. He's the one that brings both. But they're split between his first coming and his second coming. And for us, that means we live in a window of opportunity. We live now in the year of the Lord's favour. But that day of vengeance is coming. And in his kindness, he has delayed it to give more and more of us a chance to repent to come back to him and receive his wonderful salvation. I have three reflections I want us to finish on. My first one is, doesn't this view of Jesus put a sense of urgency in the time we are in, doesn't it? Put a, puts a sense of those eternal realities to the forefront of what actually truly matters. Because the reality is, there is no peace for anyone outside of Christ. Uh, Frank Retief, I don't even know how you, if that's how you pronounce it. I'm not African. Is that how you pronounce it? Yep. 
Um, uh, he's a pastor in South Africa, and uh, he's, he was, a, there was in a church that was gunned down in the 90s, and he would, was involved in training ministers, uh, and he'd often to get them to reflect on what their mission statement was. And he had a mission statement that he said, put this at the top of all your planning so that you can look at that as you decide what you are going to do and what you're not going to do. And he said, refer back to it. It was simple and clear, and it said this, People outside of Christ go to hell. Had big writings. He said, put that on your planner, put that above your desk, put that on your fridge. He didn't have a fridge. But put that everywhere um, so that you could spend your whole life, the whole working day, your whole life, living in shadow of this reality, in the shadow of eternity. He called his pastors to give himself to that and this is what Jesus is calling us to do today. Friends, we... The busyness of life, its pressures, all the different things that we need to do, we can lose this sense of urgency, can't we? Isaiah 63's vision won't let that happen to us. Jesus is the warrior judge who is coming back. And friends, Jesus has told us that whoever believes in him has life, but whoever rejects him, God's wrath remains on him. It is this truth that actually led Jesus uh, to move on from healing people so he could tell them of the Lord's favour. So he would left physical uh, needs behind because he knows that there are other towns, cities, nations that need to hear about Jesus, that need to hear about their desperate spiritual need of relationship with God. And this is why here at Wild Street, this is why we, we can't be satisfied with how we're going. We, there's thousands of people out there, thousands of people who don't yet know the hope, forgiveness, the message of Jesus, the Jesus who came to save. And we have this message that we can proclaim on our lips. That's the wonderful truth that uh, Isaiah 61 brings out, that now we're all messengers of this wonderful truth. That's the first thing. It brings a sense of urgency there's no peace outside of Christ. Secondly, the reflection is, gosh, I'm glad of God's preference for salvation. I'm just so glad that that is his heart and character. See, even in Isaiah 63, there's this inbuilt preference for salvation over judgment. A God loves to save. Did you notice that as we read that out? Three times he tells us he's a saviour. Verse 1, who is it? He's the one who's mighty to save. Verse 5, he talks about his arm that brought salvation. And verse 4, we get this contrast between the day of judgment and the year of redemption. See, it's God's character. It's his intention to bless. Isaiah 28 talks about uh, that judgment is his alien work, his strange work. He takes no pleasure in it but he calls everyone to return from their ways. He is a reluctant judge, but a joyful, willing saviour. This is just such a wonderful truth as I am here knowing that apart from the Lord Jesus, I would be under his judgment. And I just I hope that you get to see that afresh this morning. Thank him for his saving heart. My last reflection I want to reflect on is, doesn't this cause you to want to pray more? Um, John Stott when he was reflecting on his race, he said, we need to weep more, you know, weep at the state of people's eternal reality, 
but after once we have repped, we need to pray more. This is what we're told to do in Isaiah 63. We are, call, we are to call on the Lord to do what he has promised he will do, to cry out to him, to, to call on him to build his church so that more people would know the joy of salvation, to call on him to, as we see the church to say, the gates of hell you told us won't stand against your message going out. And as we're tempted to look around and see setback after setback, we could to look back to Jesus Look back to his announcement of the year of Lord's favour and the day of vengeance. Because it's Jesus who triumphed over evil on the cross. It's Jesus who walked out of the grave and it's he who will win for himself a people from every corner of the earth. Friends, can I ask you, do you have this view of Jesus? Do you have this amazing, sobering view of Jesus? Can I say, align yourself with him this morning while you can? Align yourself. Come and join him in the joy of a new start. How about I pray for that? Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a God who does speak words into our blindness. Father, what we read isn't something that we would make up. It's something that you have planned and ordained from ages past. And it's such a wonderful view of Jesus his salvation, the year of Jubilee, all, all debts cancelled, but also that that's only for a time that he's coming back. We pray, Father, that you would help us to see Jesus more clearly, help us to come to him, delight in him, and know the joy of sharing Jesus with others. Pray this would be a conviction and a clarity of our life that would shape everything we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.